pray, Lord, we, uh, that you would be at work in our hearts. Uh, draw us to Jesus. Um, show us how great he is and have us put all of our hope and all of our trust um, and all of our joy and all our delight and all of our identity and everything we are in him. I pray that we would find him to be uh, the treasure uh, that he describes himself as. Amen. Okay, now we'll uh, keep your Bibles open. Mark 8. Um, I'm just going to get there myself. Great. Um, so, um, songs we've been singing um, so far um, have really been all about the cross, haven't they? So, um, Lord, we come to you, blessed and broken people, um, talking about the, the hope um, of the cross. We don't hope in ourselves. Uh, but we hope um, in what Jesus did on the cross. Um, we come to him clinging only uh, to the cross of Christ, not, not counting on our merits, uh, but clinging to, to, to that. Um, uh, that last song uh, we sang, um, just Jesus is our intercessor. It's his, it's his cross uh, that, we, that we hope in. Um, and the other one, um, Lord, um, uh, was, um, Lord, you're calling us to come. Um, again, just um, as a song just about delighting in, in Calvary, um, in the cross. The, the, the whole song um, is about um, saying uh, we want to we wanna delight in Jesus, we want to delight uh, in uh, the cross of Jesus. Um, and that's because um, Christianity um, is um, a relationship. Um, Christianity isn't uh, a religion. Um, religions are based on our performance. Um, so um, you do something and you get something. Uh, but Christianity, the amazing thing, the distinctive thing about Christianity compared with any other um, thing that would call itself a religion um, is that it's not based on what we do. Uh, it's based on grace. So Christianity is a relationship based on God's free gift of himself through Jesus. So religion says, well, do this, um, do your prayers, do your uh, genuflects, do your rosaries, do your, uh, your prayers, whatever it might be. Do, do these things and maybe God might love you if you do these things. You want God to love you? Well, you've got to do these things and hope that he might love you in return. But Christianity, Jesus says, Jesus has done it all for you. So that means God couldn't love you more than he does right at this moment. If you're a Christian, if you're trusting in Jesus, God could not love you more than he does right at this moment. Because it's a relationship based on what Jesus has done. So it says bask in his love. It doesn't say do it, it doesn't say do these things. It's, Christianity says enjoy God's love. And so religion says earn God's favour and Christianity says well, Jesus has earned it for you already, so just enjoy it. Enjoy being people who live in God's favour, people who are his children, people who are chosen by him. Enjoy his favour. Religion says atone for your sins through your obedience. So through the things that you do for God, somehow you've got to make up for the sin in your life, for your rebellion against God. Christianity says... Jesus has already atoned for all of your sin on the cross. He's already brought you back to God, so enjoy him. And that's why Christianity is such great news for people like you and me, for people who've stuffed up their lives, for people who've not lived as we should. That's why Christianity is good news for sinners. 
because it says, come freely and be reconciled with God. That's what we were celebrating last week, wasn't it? Uh, we were saying, well, Christianity, um, Christians, Christians aren't good people. Christians aren't, aren't people who go to church or people who take communion regularly or people who, who are baptised. A Christian is simply somebody who's seen that Jesus is the king and who's trusting and delighting in his death on the cross and all that he achieved through it. That's what we saw last week. Jesus came to die so that we could be reconciled with God, so we could have the hope of eternity with him for free. But all of that might make this passage that we're looking at today um, seem a little bit strange, because as we read it, it might just sort of rankle. Is that a word, rankle? Yeah, okay, good. It might just rankle with us, it might annoy us, I suppose it means, doesn't it? It might just make things, what, what's going on here? I just don't, I don't get it. Because what Jesus is talking about here, it sounds like good old-fashioned religion, doesn't it? Just, just, just look at it again, verse, verse 34. Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and he said, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it. So, so Jesus is talking about things like, well, self-denial. That, that just sounds like religion, doesn't it? Self-denial, kind of giving stuff up, not doing all the things you'd want to do to try and get favour with God. Um, a cross-bearing. Um, that just sound, you know, sounds religious, doesn't it? You've got your cross on you, you're doing your, your hard things. It sounds like sort of kneeling on nails and that kind of things, which religious people do, kind of, kind of hurting yourself somehow to get right with God in some way. Um, Jesus even talks there about, about um, saving your life by what you do. You save your life by giving it up for Jesus. Whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it. So you save your life by giving it up for the gospel, Jesus seems to be saying. Just sounds like religion again, doesn't it? We've been saying how it's all free, but then this sounds like somehow you have to earn a relationship with God. You have to earn eternal life. You can almost sort of smell the, the, the candles and feel the rosary beads in your hand, can't you? So what's going on here? How can Jesus say on the cross, as he did in John's gospel, it's finished, and yet say that if we want to enjoy what he's done, well, we've got to do something. We've got to follow him. If it's finished, why does Jesus demand that we deny ourselves? And how can we say that Jesus has done it all when Jesus is calling us to do something here? And, and not just something little, not, not just trusting him, but he's, he's calling us to give up our whole lives. Because that doesn't sound free at all, does it? How can we make sense of what Jesus is saying here? Well, it really brings us, as we, as we think about those questions, that really brings us to the very centre of what following Jesus is, what, what, what Christians call discipleship. And it brings us to the centre of what the cross of Jesus is actually all about too. So I just want you to uh, think back uh, to Peter. Uh, from last time. Do you remember um, uh, Jesus um, said, um, well you can look at it, um, uh, verse 31, Jesus began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. 
he spoke plainly about this and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. So just before, Peter's eyes have been opened to who Jesus is. Suddenly, after, after months, years of blindness, suddenly he sees who Jesus is. You're the Christ, he says. You're the promised king. You're, you're the king come to rescue his people. But we saw last time he couldn't see what Jesus had come to do, could he? Because when Jesus told him, like we just read, what he, that he'd come to die, Mark says Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. So why do you think? It's a question for you to answer, it's not a rhetorical question. Why did Peter do that? Why, when he'd just seen that Jesus was the king, did he start to argue with him? What do you think was going round Peter's head? Why did he argue with Jesus? There are lots of right answers. So. Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah, yeah. So he thought, you're the king, I've seen you're my everything, and now you're saying you're going to go. It's a natural response, isn't it? So you're somebody who's your friend, your loved one, the king, he's going to die. That's, yeah. Yep. How is he going to be king if he's going to die? If he's come to rescue his people, how is he going to do that through dying? Yep. Yeah, yeah. So just that said, so he's going to leave us. He's going to walk out on us. You can't walk out on us. I've just, I've just left my nets. I've just left everything. I'm coming to follow you. And now you're saying you're going to die. Yep. I think there's one more thing. And all of those are absolutely, are absolutely right. But I wonder if Peter's starting to think, hang on. If, if I've said I'm going to follow this king, if I've left everything to follow him, and he's come to suffer and be rejected and die. Well, what does that mean for me? What's going to happen to me? See, I, I can deal with a, a king who's come to, to smash the Romans and go in glory. I'm happy to go into battle with a king who's going to smash everything and bring, bring me glory. That's a, that, he's a great king to follow. That's going to mean glory for me. It's going to mean that, that I'm part of this new kingdom which is ruling over the whole world that all the nations coming to bow down and bow down to my king, and I'm one of his friends, that's going to be great. I'm going to be on the throne next to him. I can deal with that. But if I'm following a king who's going to suffer, be rejected by all the people around him and die, well, I wonder if he's starting to think, maybe that's going to mean the same for me. That's not the kind of king I want to follow. Because if they treat him like that, how are they going to treat his followers? And the thing is, Peter actually has got it absolutely right. Because Jesus doesn't reassure him. He doesn't say to him, it's all right, it's going to be okay for you. It's going to be all right. Jesus says, yeah. Following Jesus is going to mean going the way of the cross too. Jesus has come to go the way of the cross. And so following Jesus is going to mean going the way of the cross too.
that's our first, our first point that we're going we're gonna to look at. Following Jesus means following the way of the cross. So it's, it's like that game of follow my leader that we were playing before. Yeah? Whatever I do, those guys had to do. Jesus is saying, if you want to follow me, if you want to follow me, you're going to have to live the same life that I've lived. I've come, I'm going to, be, I'm going to suffer, I'm going to be rejected, I'm going to die. And so that's what following me is going to be like. It's going to be a life of, of giving up on your own lives, just like I've given up on my glory. I've left heaven to come here. So you're going to have to give up on your glory here. You're going to have to suffer just like I've suffered. You're going to be rejected just like I've been rejected. That's what it's going to be like to follow me. Maybe you'll even be killed just like I will. Because we hear all sorts of theories, don't we, about what following Jesus um, is going to be like. Okay, what, what, what discipleship, that's what following Jesus, the sort of Christian jargon word for that is discipleship, being a disciple of Jesus, following him, learning from him, following in his ways. Um, and so there are lots of theories about what discipleship should be like, what we should expect from discipleship. All of us have our own ideas a little bit, don't we? But some of us are people um, who are a bit like Peter. So we think that um, following Jesus um, is going to be a kind of a glory now thing. Um, so we think of Jesus, Jesus is the king, come um, to sort my life out. He's come to sort my life and give me life to the full. And so we expect that following Jesus, if that's the kind of king that he is, following Jesus is going to be a life of success. It's going to be a life of, of, of pleasure where we get everything that we've dreamed of, everything that we want, where people love us and, and, and think that we're great. Um, so we think um, uh, Jesus he's come to bring me health. He's come to bring me, me wealth and riches. He's come to give me freedom from all of my problems. And if we think like that, well, we're not going to want to do anything that puts any of those things at risk, are we? So we'll keep hold of our money so that we can keep the standard of living um, that we've come accustomed to. Uh, because we think that's what Jesus has come to bring us. Jesus has come to give us a nice life. Uh, we won't be open about following Jesus uh, when we're at school or when we're at work or wherever we are because um, we, we, we're afraid of being embarrassed. And we think, Jesus, he's come to give me a nice life. He's come to give me lots of friends to sort my life out. So if I speak about Jesus, well, that's going to be embarrassing. People are going to not like me as much. So we won't do it. Um, or uh, when suffering does come, and, and that's the thing, you can't escape suffering in this life. So when it does inevitably come, if we think Jesus has come to bring us glory now, well, then we'll feel cheated and angry with God, won't we? Won't we? Because we'll, we'll think, well, he hasn't kept his promises. This isn't what he promised. But others, others um, are a bit uh, less um, extreme. So we think of, of uh, following Jesus. It's about sort of fitting in Jesus into our lives. Um, so so uh, we think of, of Jesus um, as the, the sort of life advice king. He's somebody who's come to, to, to tell us how to live our lives better. Um, and so, um, uh, and we know that, that following Jesus is going to mean doing 
um, certain things. It is going to mean change um, in our lives. And so what we do is we find ways to fit Jesus into our lives. So we carve time out. We make sure we come to church uh, on a Sunday so we can listen to the, to, to the Bible. Um, we make sure that we read our Bible and, and that we pray. We sort of do those, do those things. I mean, if people ask us if we're Christians, well, then we say, yeah, 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 I'm a Christian. Yeah, I, I am. We, 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 don't, we don't hide it. We know that we've got to be open about being a Christian. But what we can't stand are those people who just take things a bit too far, who try to say that, that, that all of our lives should be about Jesus, all of our relationships, all of our plans, the things that we buy. Yeah, yeah, following Jesus, is, it means change. Of course it does. We, 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 we're following Jesus now. But Jesus didn't come to change everything, did he? As long as we're doing our bits, that's okay. Or um, there's the final one. Uh, the slowly, slowly kind of discipleship. So uh, imagine uh, Jill. Uh, Jill's been meeting with a girl um, who's uh, interested in becoming a Christian, but she's worried about um, what being a Christian is going to mean. She suspects that there are uh, big things in her life, her relationships particularly, which are going to have to change. So Jill says to her, listen, you can just start slowly. Just start, become a Christian, start by reading your Bible uh, and praying. Uh, try to get along to church when you, where, when you can and just sort of see where things go from there. Don't, don't think about, you don't need to think about the big things in your life now. That's going to come later. But for now, just, just, just start slowly. Just, just, just get going. Well, all of those ways of discipleship, they, they sound nice don't they they're, they're nice ideas they sound they sound attractive and so it's no wonder that there are millions of christians in thousands of churches all the way around uh, around around england around britain around around the world um, who sign up to that kind of of discipleship a kind of a glory now fit jesus in or a, um, a sort of a slowly slowly kind of discipleship but there's a problem with that view of discipleship isn't it what's the problem That's right, it doesn't seem to be Jesus' view of discipleship, does it? In fact, that, that view of discipleship is really a million miles from what Jesus says discipleship is about. Just look at what he says again. At verse 31, he says, The Son of Man must suffer, be rejected, be killed, and after three days rise again. And so verse 34, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. See, Jesus says following him certainly won't mean glory now. Following Jesus won't mean riches and, and comfort and being thought of well now. If we want to follow Jesus, well, Jesus came to suffer and be rejected and die. For him, it was about um, suffering now and glory later and so for us following Jesus is going to mean the same it's going to mean a life of suffering a life of loss of rejection and pain now and glory later that's the life that he's calling us to and it won't be a, a fitting Jesus in kind of a discipleship either Jesus says it'll be a life of total discipleship 
He said it's going to be about suffering, taking up our cross, but it's total discipleship as well. Just look at that um, in verse 34 again. If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, says Jesus. Now, when we hear those words, deny yourself, self-denial, what sort of things do you think of when you think of self-denial? Chocolate. That was exactly the first thing that came to my, to my mind, not having the last Rolo or eating less chocolate or Lent or something like that. Um, Anything else? Time? Yeah, what, what, gone? Okay, having to spend yourself, yeah, 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 yeah. So you'd rather be watching the TV. You'd rather be watching England play Germany in the second round of the World Cup, but you go to church instead. That's what it, that's what it sounded like. That's what I thought of, chocolate and then that. Uh, maybe not having the extra helping of uh, Bonoffi pie and Nancy's uh, barbecue. Um, that kind of thing. Weight Watchers, it's all about self-denial, isn't it? That, it we, we, that, that's, when we think of self-denial, that's what we think of, isn't it? We think of some sort of religious thing, giving things up, not, 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 not doing the stuff that we want to do. Um, and, uh, and in being a Christian, there is a place for, 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 for those things. But what Jesus is talking about here when he talks about self-denial is actually much more radical than that. And it's not boring, it's not drudgery and mm, self-denial. It's actually really exciting. Because Jesus is actually talking, when he talks about self-denial, denying yourself, renouncing yourself, he's talking about a Copernican revolution in our lives. Now, Copernican revolution, what's that? Well, in the year 1543, um, it was almost universally accepted that the sun moved around the earth. So here's the earth, here's the sun, and, they, and the sun moves around the earth. So people thought that the earth was the centre of everything um, and that everything else, the whole universe, moved around it. But in uh, 1543, um, uh, a chap uh, called Nicholas Copernicus published a little book uh, called The Revolution of Celestial Spheres. It was probably written in Latin, I'm not sure what the Latin was, but English translation, Revolution of, Celest uh, of Celestial Fears, which quite literally turned the whole world, turned the universe upside down and inside out. Because in this book, he showed conclusively that for thousands of years, human beings had been wrong in the way they'd seen the universe. It was the earth that moved around the sun, not the sun that moved around the earth. Suddenly, everything looked different. Suddenly, the earth wasn't the centre anymore. The sun was. And the earth was just moving around it. The world had changed forever. And that's what happens in our lives when we grasp who Jesus is and what he's done. When we have a moment like Peter's, when our eyes are open to who Jesus is, we see that he's the king, we see he's the rescuer, we see he's the promised one, we see he's everything. When we see what he's done on the cross, that he's come to die to save us from our sins, when that happens, a Copernican revolution in our lives happens. Because naturally, we are at the centre of our lives, aren't we? So we're the ones who call the shots. So, we, we, um, so we're the king of our lives. We're the ones who say what we're going to do. We're the ones um, who decide um, on everything that's going to happen in our lives. We're the ones who call the shots. We're not just the ones who call the shots, we're also at the centre of our lives. So our lives are all about our pleasure. 
or our praise, our reputation, having people like us, about getting comfort and money and success for ourselves. Our lives naturally revolve around our ambitions and our desires for ourselves. So it's like the whole universe is revolving around us. But when we see who Jesus is, when we grasp what he's done on the cross, something happens when that happens. When we grasp that Jesus is the king of everything, then we give up on being the king of our own lives and we hand our whole lives over to Jesus. That's what Jesus is talking about when he talks about self-denial. He's saying, give up on being king of your own lives and submit to me, make me the king of your lives. Just as I gave up um, on, on my life, I submitted to my father. When you become a Christian, if you want to come after me, you've got to deny yourself. Jesus is the king of, the li- of our lives. We want to go his way. But it's not just um, that he's the king of our lives. When we become Christians, when we start to follow Jesus, he becomes the centre of our lives as well. Because when we see what he's done on the cross, when, when we grasp that he's the king, then we don't want to live for ourselves anymore. When we grasp the wonder of what Jesus did on the cross, well, we've got a new desire, haven't we? We've got a new love, a new passion. It's like um, uh, what Bernard was saying on, on, uh, on Friday. When you fall in love, suddenly all of your thoughts are about that other person. Suddenly uh, your thoughts, which were just, suddenly you're just thinking about them. Your mind is full of them. Everything you do is all about them. But when we become a Christian, when we start to follow Jesus, we get a new passion, a passion for Jesus and his glory. So we have a new longing. We, we don't, we're not longing anymore that, that our name will be praised, that, that, that people will, will like us. We won't be thinking about our lives in terms of our careers and our ambitions and, uh, and our families and all those kind of things. Our whole lives will be about a longing for Jesus' name to be praised, for people to turn to him, for people to, to find him, for, for his honour, for his glory. Like that Copernican revolution, now when we become a Christian, our whole lives revolve around Jesus and his gospel. So we want to tell people about him. We want to use all of our money for his glory, not for our glory. We want to use all of our time to bring him glory. When we become a Christian, everything in our lives becomes all about Jesus. It's total discipleship. Jesus is calling us to a life which is all about him. And that's why we'll face suffering and rejection. That's why we'll face our friends mocking us. Because if our lives are all about him and they reject him, people rejected him, well, they're going to reject us too. But what about the slowly, slowly bit? Sort of um, start off slowly, just... Read your Bible, that's fine. You know, all this stuff, it's, it's, it's fine for, for people who are away down the line following Jesus, but that's the kind of discipleship you work up to, isn't it? This isn't for, for new believers. Well, actually, that couldn't be further from what Jesus is saying, is he? Uh, could it? Because um, what Jesus is saying here, it, it isn't the sort of final module in, in a master's on discipleship. So this is the bit that you get to at the end when you've done all the other bit, finally. 
It's quite striking, isn't it? This is the first lesson on the discipleship course for day one. This is discipleship, literally 101. In fact, this is Jesus's sales pitch, isn't it? This is how he advertises following him, following Jesus. He says, look, come and follow me, come and follow me. It's going to mean suffering. It's going to mean giving your lives over completely to me. And right from the start. So uh, L'Oreal, you know about L'Oreal? They're, they're, um, what's their big advertising slogan? Because you're worth it. Apparently it used to be because I'm worth it. And then they changed it to because you're worth it. I did some research this week. It wasn't great, 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 a lot of fun. But yeah, it's, you're worth it. It says, look, come and buy our products and, and, and it's going to be all about you. You're somebody who deserves praise and glory. You deserve to, to look this good. That's how they advertise them. That's how they advertise their products. It's appealing, isn't it? Because you're worth it. I haven't <laughs> dabbled, but... Um, the University of East Anglia says this uh, on, the, um, on, on, its, uh, on its website. Uh, it calls itself one of the best for student satisfaction. Now, it's not the best line, is it? One of the best for student satisfaction. You'd expect something a little bit grander. But at least they're going for it, aren't they? They're, they're saying, look, come and, come and follow our course. Come and, come, and, come and do whatever. And you'll be satisfied. This is going to be um, satisfaction. You're going to get what you want from this course. Um, or Cornhill. Has anybody ever heard of Cornhill training? Uh, have you heard of insurance? Or yeah, insurance says Cornhill insurance. There's also Cornhill training, which is a Christian Bible training course. And, and it says this. It says, um, this is its tagline, pursuing excellence in handling God's word. So if you want to be excellent at handling God's word, at teaching the Bible, come along to Cornhill. It's attractive, isn't it? Because you're worth it. One of the best for student satisfaction, pursuing excellence in handling God's word. It says, come along and do this. But just look what Jesus says. If you want to follow me, he says, come and die. Come and give over your life. Which is a bit strange, isn't it? Why does Jesus do that? Because it just sounds crackers, doesn't it? Imagine if that was your, the, the, um, the, um, the slogan for Boroughbridge Gospel Community. Boroughbridge Gospel Community, come and die. How many people do you think we get coming along? Come and die. Probably not that many. It sounds crackers, doesn't it? So why does Jesus do it? Well, just first, very simply, he does it because Jesus wants to be upfront. There are so many um, uh, religions that promise all of these things and then, and then whack you afterwards, don't they, for money, for all those kind of things, which promise uh, uh, the good life, promise uh, um, kind of freedom and all, all that kind of stuff, but then they whack you afterwards. There are so many things. That, um, in fact, uh, L'Oreal and UAE, I'm sure, uh, are the same. They, they promise much, but they, they deliver little. Um, or actually, in the small print, you find out what you've really signed up to. But Jesus doesn't want to have any small prints. He wants us to know from the beginning, look, if you want to come and follow me, if you want to be a Christian, if you want to come after me, this is what it's going to be like. He doesn't want us to, to start off following him and um, thinking that being a Christian is going to be a life where we get everything that we want, a life free from uh, pain and suffering. Um, he doesn't want us to think it's just going to mean fitting him into the, to, to the, to the free bits of our lives or, or that it's going to be something that, that, that over years we, we work up to. He doesn't want us to do that and then find out that it's not what we thought it was going to be. 
He's saying up front and from the beginning, openly, if you want to come after me, come and die. And that's good, isn't it? It's good that he says it from the beginning. But why does he ask us to come and die at all? Because it seems like a crazy thing to do, doesn't it? Well, that's our second big thing to grasp. Following Jesus means following the way of the cross. But following the way of the cross is actually the way of true life. You see, following Jesus isn't just the, the sort of second best way of life. It's not a life of, of drudgery and sort of um, Lent-like abstinence. It's not a boring life. It's actually the true way of life. It's the way of true life. And Jesus says to us that life any other way, life for ourselves, is just a sham and a con. Because first, the way of the cross is the way of eternal life. Just look at that in verses 35 to 36. Whoever wants to save his life will lose it, Jesus says. But whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world yet forfeit his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? Can you see what he's saying there? He's saying, look, do the cost-benefit analysis. Weigh it up. He's saying, look, you can save your life now. You can keep your life for yourself. I'm not forcing you. Okay, you, you can keep on living your way. So you can avoid the way of the cross. You can avoid, avoid the way of suffering and persecution and giving your life over to me. So you can keep your money for yourself. You can spend your time on yourself. You can build yourself a nice career and a nice uh, family and a beautiful house. You can have everybody at school think that you're the cool guy. That's what, what I tried to do when I was at school. But Jesus says, in the end, you'll lose your life. Just look at that. Whoever wants to save his life will lose it. You can live that way but it'll mean eternity without Jesus. In fact, Jesus says, you can gain the whole world. You can have everything that you want. You can have life your way. You can have the money, you can have the friendships, you can have the career, you can have it all. But what good is it? It can't get you through death. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world and yet forfeit his soul? Nothing that you live for apart from Jesus can get you through, through death. None of it can buy back your soul. John Piper tells the, the story um, of a couple um, who are in real estate in, 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 in the United States um, and they make masses and masses of money. Um, and then at the age of 50, having made their fortune, uh, they retire um, and go and live um, in a cottage by the sea. Um, the man plays golf every day uh, and uh, the woman swims uh, in the sea um, and plays tennis. Um, and every evening uh, they walk down on the beach uh, and they collect shells. And over the years they build up this beautiful shell collection. It sounds like uh, an idyll, doesn't it? 
Sounds like an ideal life. But then Piper says this telling thing. Imagine them on the day of judgment before the Lord. What will they say? Look, Lord, look at my shells. It's ridiculous, isn't it? See, they had a nice life. It was, it was comfortable. It was beautiful. It was everything that they wanted. They literally gained the whole world. And yet it was a life utterly wasted. Because what does it profit a man to gain the whole world? What does it profit us to gain everything that we want and yet forfeit our souls? But Jesus says there's another option. He says you can choose to go the way of the cross. You can choose life like my life was. So you can choose to lose your life now for me and for the gospel, for Jesus and for the gospel. You can give your life over to him. You can forget yourself and make your life all about him and his glory. So you can end up with no savings at all because you gave them all away so that people could be reached with the gospel. You can end up living in a place you wouldn't have chosen to live in. You can end up getting to know people that you'd never have chosen to get to know. And you can end up getting rejected and taunted and treated badly by those same people who you've given up your life for to share the gospel with them. You can find yourself rejected with no mates, poor, with nothing to show for your life. Nothing that those people who lived on that beach would recognise. You can lose your life now, says Jesus. But if you do that, if that's what your life is like, that'll mean you get life forever. Who knows the story of Jim Elliot? Anybody know the story of Jim Elliot? Um, Jim was a, he was a, a missionary in Ecuador um, in the 1950s. Um, and he felt called to share the gospel with the Huarani people. I'm not sure if I've said that right, the Huarani people. Um, and they were known to be a, a violent um, and cannibalistic tribe. But he was in Ecuador, they, they were a tribe within Ecuador, um, up to that point, unreached with the gospel. Um, and um, he felt called to, to reach these people. And so he and, and four other missionaries um, spent several months making initial contact with them. It was very dangerous, um, so they didn't want to just go straight in there. Um, and so they, they, they spent time um, um, outside um, of, the, of the Hurani village um, and speaking through, a, they, they got a loudspeaker and they spoke to people through the loudspeaker and gradually started to, uh, to build a contact. They gave them gifts and started to get to know them. Um, and then after several months, they, they built a base um, just a little way um, outside the, the, the village where, where these guys lived. Um, and one time uh, they were approached by a group um, of, of Huranis um, and um, things started to, to thaw in the relationship. They started to, to build a relationship uh, with them. They were still aware that it was very dangerous, uh, but they carried on getting to, getting to know them. Um, and um, even ended up, they had an, an aeroplane and gave an, an aeroplane ride to, to one of the guys who they called George, I think, because they couldn't pronounce his actual uh, name. Um, and um, so they, they were encouraged by these um, things going well. Um, and so they started to make plans to visit uh, the Hurani people, um, guided in by, by this guy, George. Spent a few years pursuing this. 
but they never made the visit uh, because George lied um, to the other Huranis about what their intentions were. Um, and on the 8th of January 1956, uh, a group of about 10 Hurani warriors uh, arrived um, in, in the camp that they'd made um, and killed Elliot um, and his four uh, companions. And Elliot's body was found uh, downstream. Um, he left behind a wife uh, and a small child. A wasted life? Was it a big mistake? Well, Jim Elliot didn't think so. Because he knew from the beginning that reaching these men, this tribe with the gospel, that it might cost him his life. But he knew that whatever it cost, it was worth it. Why did he think that? Well, because Jim Elliot knew these verses. Just look at um, an entry from his diary, if you can see that. Um, October the 28th, 1949, just a few years before he was killed, as he was thinking about this, this mission. Here's what he wrote. Just look in the middle there. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. He's no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. See, following Jesus does mean suffering now. It means giving up on lots of the things that our friends value. It means living a life of suffering and rejection. It might even mean death. But why would you want to hold on to what you can't keep, to things that you can't take with you to eternity? Why would you want to hold on to your reputation and your money and your nice lifestyle and even your life when giving those things up means you gain so much more? It means suffering now, but glory later. But here's our last thing. The way of the cross doesn't just mean life forever when you die. The way of the cross is actually life in all its fullness now. The way of the cross is life, believe it or not, as it was meant to be lived. See, maybe you've been thinking as we've been, as we've been talking, and in one sense I hope that you have, I hope you've been thinking, well, hang on a sec. All this stuff about giving up your life now in order to get life forever in eternity, well, that still just sounds like religion to me. Why do I have to give up my life in order to gain eternal life? You say, well, I thought, it's, I thought you'd said eternal life was free. This sounds like I have to earn my way into heaven. Well, let me say categorically, you don't have to earn your way into heaven. Eternal life is gloriously free. It's like a, a banquet that God puts on, this is how Jesus describes it, that God puts on at a huge cost to himself, at the cost of his own son, and says, come and eat. Come and enjoy it for free. It is sumptuously all of grace. And Jim Elliot certainly knew that. But here's the question, what is eternal life? What is this life? that Jesus is talking about here. If you uh, give up your life for me in the gospel, you'll save it. What is this life that he's talking about, this eternal life? Well, some people think of eternal life as kind of floating on clouds. So it's kind of, you know, harps, beards, that sort of thing. That's what eternal, eternal life is. 
Um, others think of it um, as a world where you get everything that you want. So it's a world where um, all of my desires uh, are met. Everything that I want, um, I get. And others pe other people think of it as just... as just life uh, forever. So it's life that goes on forever. But none of those things are how Jesus describes eternal life. Just listen to how Jesus describes eternal life for us. Because I think if we get this, it'll transform our lives. Here's how he describes it in John's Gospel. He says, now this is eternal life. This is eternal life. I'm going to tell you what eternal life is all about now. And he says this, that they, my followers, might know you, the only true God. He's talking to his father. Eternal life is that my followers might know you and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. Eternal life, Jesus is saying, is about my followers knowing God through Jesus. That's what it's all about. Eternal life isn't just life that goes on forever starting when you die in a nice place. Eternal life at its very heart is life in a dynamic relationship with God through Jesus. And that means that eternal life isn't something that just starts when we die. Eternal life starts now and it goes on to eternity. Eternal life at its very heart is about knowing and exploring and delighting in God through Jesus. And the kind of knowing that Jesus is talking about there, the word that he uses for know, it's, it's, it's a know that means knowing inside out. So it's not just kind of knowing about someone, oh yeah, I know who they are. It's that knowing that happens when you, when you fall in love with someone again. So when you, you gaze into each other's eyes and you have those conversations late into the night where you explore what each other think about this or that. Exploring of it like young lovers or, or, or newly married people. It's that kind of knowing, exploring, delighting in. Jesus is saying eternal life is life captivated by me, by Jesus. Yes, it goes on forever, but it starts now. See, eternal life at its very essence is life lived, astounded by the cross of Jesus, astounded by his love and enjoying his love every day. So it's life lived with Jesus as your chief delight, Jesus as your central joy, Jesus as the one that you, you wake up for, Jesus as the one that you say, I want him, I want his glory, I want his reputation to be honoured, I love him, I delight in him. With him as your, your heart beats, that's what true life is, that's what life in all its fullness is. And so that is the life that Jesus is inviting his followers to here. You see, we don't give ourselves to Jesus. We don't give up our lives to gain eternal life, to get ourselves eternal life. We give ourselves to Jesus because we've already got eternal life, because we've got Jesus. We give ourselves to him because we know him. We give ourselves to him because we, we love him, because we're convinced that life lived with Jesus actually is life to the full. He is our joy. You see, Christians give away their money and their time and their reputation for Jesus, not because they have to. They do it because they want to. Yes, it means 
living the way of the cross now. Yes, it means suffering. It might even mean dying. But actually, it's not a sacrifice, is it? Living for Jesus is true joy. So just think of the, the Christian guy who gives up his chances of a, of a good career to reach people in a certain area with the gospel. He gets a lower paid job um, and he moves to, to somewhere he wouldn't have wanted to live in to reach them with the gospel. Well, well, why does he do that? Well, he doesn't do it because he has to. He does it because he wants to, because his heart has been captivated by Jesus and by Jesus's glory. Is it a sacrifice? Well, in some ways, yes, he has to, to, to give stuff up. But it isn't really a sacrifice, is it? He doesn't experience it as a sacrifice. He's just seen that none of those other things are worth living for. But Jesus is. Jesus is his joy. What about the Christian school kid who, who stands up for Jesus in the playground? Or who stands up for another kid who's having a hard time because of the other people, and so ends up getting teased because of it. Well, why does he do it? Well, he doesn't do it because he has to, to somehow gain Jesus's favour. No, he does it because he's genuinely seen that living for Jesus and his glory is the way of true life. It's the way of joy, even if it does mean pain for a little while now. Why does the Christian missionary go somewhere far away that's dangerous? Why does Jim Elliot go and tell that people about Jesus? Why does he give up on all those things? Well, not because he has to, not to gain something from God, but because he's seen that living for Jesus is the way of true joy. He's got a new passion, a new delight. We're thinking about doing a youth group Aren't we? We've been talking about that, talking about it on Wednesday. We're going to talk about it again uh, this Wednesday. Well, if we do that, those of us who end up doing it, why will we give up an evening in our week to do it? Well, not because we have to, but simply because our hearts have been won by Jesus. Because we've got a new passion for Jesus and his glory and to see people coming to trust in him for his glory. Will it be a sacrifice? Well, we're going to have to give up some things to do it, aren't we? Have to give up an evening, might have to give up some other things that we like doing. But we'll actually be doing it because we've seen that living for Jesus' glory is a life of true joy. And that's what Sue knew, wasn't it? As I was, I met with her just, um, we, we had a chat um, just before she got her uh, diagnosis. And, and um, it was just like what, what Bernard was saying on, on Friday. Um, when you go to somebody who's having a hard time and you think you're going to go and encourage them. Um, and I went away just, just I, was, I, I, I was crying on the way home just because it was just amazing to see how, as she talked about the different people in the village, as she talked about her life and the camps and um, even Julian dying um, and, and Sarah being converted through that, it just became clear as I talked to her that that's what her whole life had been about, that she'd loved Jesus. She'd wanted his glory. And so when I was chatting to her, what did she want to talk about? She wanted to talk about the people in the village who'd seen um, something of the gospel, who she'd been able to explain the gospel to, the people who'd become Christians, uh, people who she wanted to be reaching with the gospel, even as she was um, going through a hard time and, and suffering. Her chief joy was, was Jesus and his glory. And that's the life 
that Jesus is offering his followers. He's offering us a life where, we, yeah, we forget ourselves. Our lives aren't about us anymore. He's offering us a life of, of reveling in him and in his glory. And, and that will mean pain and heartache. It will mean not having all the things that we want. It will mean people not treating us how we would like to be treated. But it's a life of joy and it's a life that goes on forever. So those words of Jesus again. Whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it. So what are we going to do? Are we in or are we out? We're going to finish by just watching a little thing, um, a sermon jam. I'd uh, recommend you uh, have a look at these um, if, you, uh, if you've never seen these before um, online. They're, um, some of John Piper's sermons um, put to, to music. Uh, but this is a really powerful thing and I think it, it sums up what we've been talking about uh, today. So let's have a look at this um, and then I'll pray and we'll finish. Jesus 
is by treasuring him above all things and then making choices which make the joy we have in his supreme work manifest. Pray. Father, we thank you for Jesus and we thank you for the treasure uh, that he is and we thank you for his words to us uh, this afternoon. Uh, we thank you that he speaks uh, to us um, and we thank you uh, that he calls us uh, to himself, not to a way of life uh, that is about earning your favour, uh, but, uh, but to a way of life that is about enjoying your favour. Um, enjoying him more than anything else. Uh, a life that is about uh, living for him and for his glory. And we thank you that that is the way of true life. Uh, we thank you that uh, following him and serving him um, is life in all of its fullness and that everything else is uh, rubbish uh, in comparison. And so we ask that um, our hearts would be uh, captured by him and that we would treasure him more than anything else, uh, that we would treasure his forgiveness, treasure the cross, treasure um, his loveliness and his majesty, um, and that our lives would be changed as a result. Uh, Lord, as we eat food, uh, make our hearts glad. Um, I pray that uh, we would uh, eat in such a way as to bring you glory. Um, we thank you uh, for your goodness to us. Amen.